everybody! Welcome back to Crit Club, where four friends watch movies on Criterion Channel, the streaming network that features Criterion Collection movies and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, where four friends watch movies that we've never seen before in hopes to finding something, anything to talk about that's not the bad news that has been delivered on us from this terrible year. Hi, my name is Peter Ann Clark, and I am joined by Corey. Corey, hello. Hi, Hi I'm Corey. I'm also joined by Angela. Hello. And I'm joined by Wizard Chris. Chris, or Wizard, or Canadian, however you want to refer to him. Canadian is interesting. Um, <laughs> up, Chris. Sir is Cut also up, good. Uh, Chris is fine, I think. Hi, everybody. I'm not going to get too much into it, but I did watch a clip of Kids in the Hall this week uh, wherein I was reminded of the bags of milk that Canadians are forced <laughs> to drink by law. People this week... <laughs> in Wisconsin also drink bags of milk, um, so let... Uh, let's uh moving on yeah. <laughs> this week on crit club Jackson. it is my choice as we uh round robin and we take turns in picking whatever uh movie that none of us have seen and it was my choice this week wherein i decided that we should watch uh agnes varda's 1980 film 1985 film vagabond or as is as it is titled in the french sans trois ni loi uh, which means without shelter nor law this is a 1985 French drama film directed by Agnes reading from Wikipedia that tells the story of a young woman, a vagabond, who wanders through uh, Languedoc, Roussillon, wine country one winter. The film was the 36th highest grossing film of the year with a total of blah, blah, blah. Lots of, um, <laughs> over a million admissions in France. Um, yeah, I decided to pick this. Uh, she has a lot of... Um, yeah, Agnes Varda is a, is a very famous French filmmaker. She was very uh, prominent in the French New Wave movement, of which I've tried to learn a lot about this year. And it was enormously interesting to me to want to dive into her oeuvre, if you'll permit me that. Um, and uh, and so I wanted to dive in with this because this seemed like a really good choice. I have a lot of thoughts around this. My mind sort of tendrilled into its nooks and crannies and got caught upon the waves from which... Uh, the titular vagabonds walked and but at first i would love to hear from you all i think Corey, you raised your hand and so i'm gonna just go to you first what did you think of agnes varda's 1985 film vagabond <laughs> so i i would also say that um not everything that we watch on this channel is on the criterion collection officially yes, yes. this yes. film is this was a oh. criterion film accidentally um and yes, I wanted to go first because I'm going to, if you will permit me, uh, travel us into the future, and I'm going to say the last line that I'm going to say in this podcast. So, so imagine we're at the end of the oh, podcast God. here. <clears throat> I hear all of your all's things. I understand everything that you said, and I understand all the reasons why each of you really, really, really enjoyed this movie. Of course... <laughs> I'm going to be the outsider on it or whatever and be the only one who didn't really like this movie. So, should we get to ratings? What? Oh, so now I have to edit that? <laughs> no, that no, no, no. <laughs> that's well, that's, so that's you, what I imagine. I imagine. So, so I imagine like that it. you all really liked this movie. And um, as I was watching it, my impression was I'm probably going to be the only one out of the three, out of you know the four of us who didn't really love this movie. It doesn't, but that's not that's not here nor there. Like I, I want to know what you thought of this movie, whether you liked or didn't like. It's such a black and a white thing. I want to know 
what what are your what what did how did this movie arrive and approach you? And it's very interesting, Corey, because I have some things that I will bring up later on. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about them now, but uh, but but to go deeper. What are your thoughts? Uh, I wonder if one of the things you're gonna bring up is uh, one of our mutual friends. It is absolutely. Okay, let's go ahead. And get no, <laughs> so no, it, no, 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 no. Yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, that was that was yeah, one of my first impressions. Your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my one of my first impressions was this. Uh, this reminded me a lot of our mutual friend Claire, um, who is no longer with us. Um, she uh, died from reasons unrelated to being a vagabond, but um, she was very much a, a vagabond, and I was lucky enough to go along on with her on some of her vagabond journeys, uh, but she did many by herself or not even by herself with her dog, usually, um, Siler. Uh, it definitely reminded me of um, Claire, although I feel like Claire was a much more interesting of a character um, than this person, <laughs> um, who was, uh, Claire, Claire was very uh, in love with people and in love with their ideas and in love with the things that they were in love with, and she could engage people on many conversations and all that. This person, however, uh, Mona, uh, is, or I guess the pseudonym that she has self-imposed upon herself, is a very cold and selfish and misanthropic and um, is not only a vagabond in life, but seems to be just taking it whole heart and being very much by herself. There are very few scenes in the movie where you see any sort of like brightness or lightness within this character. Um, this was, the movie was exactly as I thought it was going to be. Um, so when I saw the the movie poster, when I kind of read the description, it ended up being almost exactly what I thought it was going to be. So a, a sort of vignette of, you know, various vignettes of this person going through. I thought there was going to be a little bit more of a um, plot with, like, starting starting off with her death, you know, starting off with her dead body in the ditch. I thought there was going to be a little bit more of a through line of how we got here, and, it you know, it ended up, no, it was just like one bad day, you know, kind of at the end <laughs> that uh, resulted in that. Um, and so was it the lack of lightness or the coldness of the character that didn't connect with you? Or what about it? Yeah, didn't... It, was, it was some of that. It was um, that I, mean, I like, didn't... Because I could argue that like our first in our podcast series, Totally Fucked Up, is like one bad day as well, right? It's just like a series yeah. of vignettes yeah. of characters going through their own sometimes self-involved, self, you know, self-directed uh, but I, yes, but I, I didn't I didn't really care for most of the characters. The character sure. that I liked the most was the the grandma who I just liked for laughing a lot. <laughs> and I actually watched the extra special feature on like the grandma that's on the Criterion Channel. One of yeah, the great grandma. film grandmas for yeah, sure. Yeah, was a great film grandma. <laughs> so I didn't really like any of the characters. There was rapping granny from Wedding Singer. <laughs> also I, I also great didn't. Film grandma. I also didn't really think that the vignettes were particularly. Um, imaginative or creative like if i would have sat down and said what do i want to have in a movie of you know a, a vagabond traveling across france i probably would have like bulleted out just a lot of these scenes in 15 minutes you know like i didn't think there was anything that was particularly interesting that happened but it was nice and maybe that's what not what it's trying going for is going for atmospheric it was going for you know sort of uh creating a mood and all that so I'll, I'll give it that that's and that's not usually the kind of movies that i enjoy is the ones that are just there to create moods i've said it well thank you i want to pass no off. thank you for sharing <laughs> your thoughts um i i feel like uh her hand has been tip, uh, tipped a little bit because uh angela and i broke the seal a uh, about this movie confidentially between the two of us but i would love to turn it over to angela and hear her thoughts on varda's 1985 vagabond um it's a hard movie to watch it's not a pleasant 
film to watch. It's not there to make you feel good about life or even people. But there's room in the cinematic oeuvre of the medium for us to look at, at life's dirty, filthy yuckiness. Life isn't always beautiful. and But this film allows you to examine that in a way that um, uh, pushes your own buttons in some places. But I, I think this is a magnificent film. Um, and I get what Corey's saying because not a lot happens, but that's because what really happens, once again, is subtle. And the critique and the story that this filmmaker is telling is more about, it's f philosophical in nature. It's not dramatic in nature. It is the, you know, human versus uh, the wild, city versus country, death versus life, um, the story of survival and freedom. Um, and uh, I just found it endlessly entertaining to think about and watch despite the fact that you know you know as this woman walking through this film uh is walking you know she smells terrible she hasn't had a bath in days she is deeply angry and unpleasant and almost to the point of ungrateful and selfish and no one wants to spend time with that but how many of us have met homeless people like and not just vagabonds i feel like she is a vagabond, but she is also ill and homeless that we want to spend time with. There's like... Right? Yeah, there's obviously nowhere for her to go. I think there's... In particular. Somewhere that she could go, but she is deeply angry and will not... This is a will situation. Um, and we, I love that in this film, we yes. do not know why she is behaving all this way. They do not give us even the hint of a reason, movie. which makes it all the more compelling. Um... Yeah. So can I can I can I ask a quick in the in the sort of like as we're still talking about overall impressions, you mentioned two things that seem competing oh, to yeah. me, and I'd love uh, a further explanation about it because you said on the one hand, the first you started off by saying it's not an easy movie to watch, but then you talked about how entertaining it is. So what was so entertaining about it? Uh, what is so entertaining about a movie that's not easy to watch? The extent to which we're able to examine human behavior and our own behavior and the reasons why we do the things we do and why society is mm -hmm. the way it is. And I think that that is what we go to films to do. And that's how I get entertained <laughs> by films, not just the story, but also um, what does it say about the human condition and what does it say about being alive? Um, and it's in this way that this film, it will get a very good review from me. Um, and I did, I mean, I will Ooh. say that I, I, it wasn't an enjoyable film. I get why Corey didn't like it. It's not, it does, it's not a feel good movie, right? It's not a feel good movie, yeah, yeah. but and, it's and, entertaining. And I, I guess, I guess not liked is maybe too strong. We'll I enjoyed that. I enjoyed my time watching it. it, we'll it get, you got your thoughts. It, it gets above thoughts. neutral we'll get for you. me. We'll, I'm we'll, just get to, we'll get to you. We'll get to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for those thoughts. I love when I get to be the host. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your thoughts, Angela. Uh, Chris, Wizard Chris. Yes. Can Canuck Milk Bag Chris. Milk bag. <laughs> I don't care for that. What do you think, milk bag? <laughs> hey, they call me milk bag. Don't ask why. Uh, uh, what did you think? Qu'est-ce que tu penses que le film vagabond ou sans toi ni lui? What did you think of this movie? Hmm. 
Do you really... speak French? Do they do they require you to speak French? They teach in in Canada. They teach us French. Uh, they are required to teach us French up until the ninth grade, I believe. And obviously, I'm not going to let Corey disrail. I'm not going to let Corey derail the podcast more. <laughs> you what can you learn it well past that. <laughs> Just teasing um, you. I'm 100 percent joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's something that uh, that we all pick a little bit up of. A little bit up, whatever. Um, don't derail us, Corey. Um, I really like this movie. I thought it was profoundly sad. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. Like you guys say, it's angry, but like I, I watched this movie with a very, very immediate. Yeah, I've under- not spoken yet. I've not given my opinion yet. Well, but please, you, oh, sorry. Um, I've heard it said. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, I thought that uh, you know this character like has her reasons for being angry. We don't know what they are, so I have to accept them as valid. Maybe there's somewhere for her to go. Maybe not. Um, but like this is the lifestyle that she's chosen. This is the the, the suffering that she chooses to endure um, for reasons that we are not really uh, like privy to as an audience. But I really enjoyed like, I really enjoyed watching this sort of this really bad day, as we put it earlier. Um, this movie is super French, uh, very sad. Um, everybody looks, uh, everybody looks like they smell like stale cigarettes and baguettes, like very <laughs> like, mm, the, the, the goal of humanity is suffering, uh, vibe to, uh, vibe to this, to this movie. Um, wow. yeah, um. I really, I, I, I don't know what to say about it. I see, I, you know, really, yeah, not a lot happens, but it's very, like, it has, like, a very, like, meditative, like, very, like, sort of, like, like, these sort of broad vignettes are very, like, quiet and still in their way, and uh, and it almost comes, it kind of, like, I like sort of the, the, the omniscient narrator aspect of it. I like that, uh, I believe that all of the people that... Uh, that are interviewed in it about about Mona are men, so it's all about how like she is perceived by men, which is I think maybe another reason that we mm-hmm. kind of like have a grim view of her, um, because everyone who talks about her is like, yeah, she was kind of a grumpy bitch. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's not always. Um, not always. Like Yolande also talks a lot. I, um, I also like I I liked and appreciated. I thought it was a clever framing device for the movie, doing it in little like you know, uh, interviews or whatever with people that they came across. Her. I thought that was cool. I really dug the, uh, the goat farmer, the, 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 the highly <laughs> educated goat it's farmer. Sweet. Um, he's like, eh, I'm, I'm contributing to the struggle out here by like, uh, doing this goat thing and taking myself out of it. And, uh, I don't know why she doesn't want to work. She just seemed grumpy. He's one other character. He's like, ah, oh, she just seemed ungrateful. Uh, um, what a grump. I don't know. Peter, what did you think? Wow. I had such a different reading than all of you. Um, I mean, not entirely different. Uh, I um, absolutely loved this movie. Um, but I also didn't think it was very sad. Like, I, I didn't find it to be a sad or necessarily a difficult watch for a couple reasons. Like, it... Um, it definitely, towards the end, I think it does a stupendous... I, I Honestly, overall, I think this movie does a stupendous job of outlying a an, a, an overarching sort of map of how one gets to 
uh, trying to wrestle with their own freedom in a system that they don't seem to fit in to uh, drug addiction and death. Like, there's just an overarching, very understandable whole map that's that's drawn here. Uh, and it was done so naturally and sort of, like, unfurled on itself. But I, I guess in the way that I do, I think I have a, I think I have a little tick when it comes to film criticism uh, in where I'm always looking for films that are uh, fairy tales or magical realism. And this movie was just a fairy tale. She's birthed of the sea. That like that was so <laughs> enormously stunning of me. Where even the like the first sort of things that as it introduces her mm. was the first thing I know is she came from the sea. And the first shot we see of her is her naked coming out of the waves of the sea like Aphrodite, like a a child of the universe. And there's nothing given at all about her past. What I mean, what Corey? I, I had a different read on it, but finish. finish. Go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, like, and this is just this ephemeral child. This is the, an ephemeral child of the universe that's just plucked into French, or not even French, like, just into civilization, uh, unable to sort of figure out how to interact with it. And so I, uh, I don't think it's a happy movie, but I think it's, like, I think it's a movie that wrestles, I think it's a movie that, that examines wrestling with freedom versus constraints that wrestles with loneliness versus being tied down to other people that wrestles with uh reliance versus individualism that wrestles with asking for help versus pride you know this is like and i think i think watching mona sort of go through her way in a cold fashion but i don't i wouldn't call i didn't call her cold i thought thought of her as guarded i thought of her as careful i thought of her as scared i thought of her as pride proud and i thought of her as as free like in in like and i don't mean and i don't necessarily mean free in in like a really good positive way i mean free with all of the constraints i mean this movie to me looks at like what are the benefits and the prices of freedom uh including rape which we don't which which is just a part of the movie that's like that to me was exhibited as like this is part of the price of the freedom that she is seeking and and i and i and i felt this whole movie to be such such a such a fascinating riveting and such a captivating look at like what okay look let's look at this young woman in the mid 80s trying to trying to trying to see where she fits in with everyone else where everyone else fits in with her and if you will if you all if you will all let me uh it is uh so going back to our friend claire i think i think it was impossible not to think of our friend claire so for if you don't Corey, if it's not a problem to mm. talk about her more yeah uh so claire was 21 when she died uh which was about um oh god holy shit it's like 20 years ago almost um uh almost uh and it's it's funny, Corey, because like I think this character was kind of exactly Claire, except for mm. the drugs. Like there's like what, and I I the, the, I promise listeners that there is like there's a point to me saying this. It's not just talking about old friends, but like <laughs> Claire never said thank you whenever people gave her stuff. Mm. <laughs> Claire, Claire was like cold and distant and like whatever. But but Claire was just so subsumed with this idea of freedom, with this I like this prickly notion of just like individualism mm-hmm. uh, and trying to really shove that flag into the ground and seeing whether it stuck or whether it waved or whether it fell over. Um, 
But see, I, I didn't yeah, I understand uh, why um, this character was choosing or not choosing. I'm not even sure if she, it was a, it was a choice that she had any choice in um, to, to live this life on the road or not. Um, I felt like our, our friend Claire was doing it because she wanted to meet people. She wanted to to get experiences. She wanted to understand more about them. She was always had a very curious mind. It was a voracious reader and could have, you know, very long, long, long conversations late into the night. This, this character, I'm not sure what she was doing on the road. She was just surviving. I mean, she was just bouncing around and she didn't seem interested in learning or talking or experiencing things. It was, and it was just and I, bouncing. And I do promise everyone that mentioning Claire, because honestly, I do think there's a wonderful, like, I think that's a really good, like, uh, translation for this character, because I would also say that Claire and this character were running, like, and I love Claire, like, honestly, Claire was my best friend in this time of our lives. Uh, and I think she was also running away from what she, because she didn't know what to do. She mm-hmm. wasn't going to college. Her mom was trying to, like, convince her to go in the Coast Guard, which she hated. Like, she just, like, everything about, like, doing any sort of normal things that you do when you're 20 just felt sticky and ugly and gross to her and she was wrestling with where where she could fit within this whole thing i, I don't know i think this character um yeah that's actually really that's sort of a fascinating the the, the movie does really capture i suppose that that character's need to like unapologetically seek like freedom and whatever that looks like and it's not amazing especially in wintertime um it's amazing how you know like the documentary style like interviewing everybody after the fact um everybody's like well positioned to like help this person it's true that like no it's true that it's unlikely to accept it but nobody's like hey like what do you need like how can we people are like hey we can offer you a job we can offer you this we can offer that but nobody's like and maybe we're looking. Maybe I'm looking at this as in a in a 21st century uh, idea. But I think this question is always useful for people who need help. Um, what do you need as far as help? Um, and I don't nobody think asked she would that have question. Taken it. I, I don't think she would have taken it. I mean, mm, the the farmers the farmers offer her a place to live. They offer her, you know, uh, basic amenities. And then they said, Land like, to grow her potatoes. Yeah, and she wants to grow potatoes. That's what her, you know, quote unquote dream is. Um, well, they offer her the opportunity she wants to do to it. Grow potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she just doesn't and leaves. You know, so I'm not sure if she would have accepted it or not. Any help? But I, but I, but like I, because it was right then when he, when she gets kicked out of the farmer's land that I agree with you, Chris. But I was like, oh, that's depression. Oh, mm-hmm. right. like that's that's depression. Like yeah, that's right. like 100 percent a person who is just like wallowing and not knowing how to get out of it and so you know i think it is like a very 1980s mindset like look i'm giving you a field i'm giving you like a camper and you still can't get it together (laughs) these damn kids these days i'm like where where (laughs) can't can't grow a potato (laughs) i think this movie kind of asks the question like where is the place where is a place for people who don't fit into this machine thing we have going at all like right. people who don't want to conform is okay nonconformist where do with where the can the nonconformists hang out um or well, do, i would love that to be my to first starve to death outside the outside the machine well can i ask this first question of all of you then of because one thing that you see in many vignettes are people 
sort of lusting after her situation of just like, oh, le libre, oh, to be free, mm-hmm. oh, to do, you know, and uh, Yolanda with the, you know, they were just in like remembering the sleeping lovers there. Did you all connect with this character at all? Did you see yourself in Mona? Why or why not? Explain your answers. <laughs> um, well, so I'm not going to answer your question directly, but I, I did want to get back to, to like one of the, the, like the second opening scene or whatever, where she emerges from the sea. I just had a slightly different read on this. Um, I think yours is a perfectly valid reading of it. Um, I <laughs> took you. it as, um, because there's the guys lusting after her and then it kind of fades from like her being naked on the beach to these like naked postcards. And one yeah. of the guys picks up the naked postcards and he's like, Hey, trying to like, Hey, you can get, get these for like two francs or whatever. Uh, francs or whatever. <laughs> and like there. And so I took it as like an objectification because like, with her getting, you know, heckled and whatever. And then there, there are just various instances throughout it where she is very much, like, objectified um, by men. Um, like, they find her in a dumpster. It's like, oh, look at this prize I found in the dumpster. And um, there was, like, people who won't give her a ride because she wouldn't put out and stuff like that. And so I, I was kind of taking it as her, like, her coming into this world and just immediately being objectified because she was a woman. From the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a. There's a very. There's a. To me, there's a very clear sort of mythological birth mm-hmm. of a character from that. But did you see yourself answer my question? Derailment, Corey. You're not gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna put this podcast on I'm the sorry. track. Okay, so talking about the movie is derailing now. Everybody's um, posting stuff. I asked you a question. I authoritarian. <laughs> Pure politician, Corey. I'm. Uh, I hear your question, but I'm not gonna answer it. I did some hitchhiking as a young man uh and my reasons for it were i think very different than the reasons in this uh of the character in this this film um i didn't have to hitchhike so you know we don't know if this was her only option and she was really just trying to make the best of it and like this was this was her survival this is how she survived i was not doing it for survival i was doing it to be a tourist you know of this lifestyle um and um, I was also doing it because I wanted to get to places and see new things and have an adventure. Um, and I, I also didn't like have even like gas money at that point. So it was like one of my only options to like get around and get to places. Um, but that didn't seem to be what she was doing. And she wasn't really interested in, in necessarily the adventure of it. This was just, this was her home. Her home was being a vagabond and, and just bouncing from place to place so i can see myself in some of the actions of it um but then others uh i didn't see myself in it angela what about you did you see yourself in mona at all i mean the only thing that i can really see as similar is the objectification of the inescapability of that objectification and that uh her weak position in society as a vagabond um isn't actually free, right? Um, in exchange for that freedom, you know, people see her, and she is unprotected. She's by herself, and she does get raped. Um, and so, I mean, I only see similarities in just, I, it reminds me of all the ways in which I was objectified, you know, even in just like jobs as a receptionist at an ad agency. You know, I had men in that office were touching me without my my consent um and flirting with the men who were significantly older than me and you know i had thought that 
uh, you know, hadn't we gotten beyond this? Um, and it's it was maybe 2002 when that stuff was happening. I mean, I had one of the principals of that company comment on my breasts in front of my fiance at a holiday dinner. And my boss didn't said nothing about it. It was. And so I get the idea from the story from the movie that she was on a track to become a receptionist or something and she somehow didn't mm -hmm. but it's sort of like what's the point of even well she said she just didn't like her boss or didn't like world. yeah yeah but i like she didn't want to do it i don't mm -hmm. i don't blame her because it's sort of like either way if you're gonna be a vagabond um and you're in a much weak more a weaker situation you're only slightly stronger as a woman you know going into a career life right you're still gonna be right subjected to the glass ceiling to sexual harassment uh to um being mansplained um and f for your contributions to be overlooked as not as important um and so i guess that's really what i see in any sort of similarity and i see that as just like being a part of the sisterhood she is just she is a sister mm. this, is, this is the sisterhood yeah it seemed like she didn't have a lot to lose yeah, sorry. Yeah. It just seemed like, yeah, she didn't have a lot to lose. And it, it, it strikes me, I'm just realizing, I don't know if you all have read Bartleby, the Scrivener. Um, I've seen the uh, very excellent uh, Crispin Glover version of that uh, Oh, of that I've story, seen that movie. <laughs> which is very, very good. Um, <laughs> I, have to, I have to hope it's like a fair adaptation of the story, but I think I got the gist of it. It's not a hard... It's absurdism. It's... Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's a hard... Like, that movie... No, that like, the... It is not a... I don't know. It's like... The, the, probably the Scrivener is a Herman Melville short story uh, about a... a, a a person in the early 19th century who just, uh, the, the quote, the catch line is, I would prefer not to, where all of a sudden this Scrivener just decides that he would prefer not to. And the whole thing is just, it's honestly, now I think about it, a lot like office space with a guy just being like, I'm just not going to work. And I'm just, just, I'm just ejecting myself. I'm just clicking that button on my thumb drive and removing myself from the system and all of the fallout that comes with it. Um, sorry, Chris. I wanted to ask you as well to give you a chance to answer. Did you feel? Did you see yourself in in Mona? Um. So, like, I think that on the level that lay, I you know, I'm I'm a pretty middle class. Uh, I've had a pretty middle class upbringing. I live a pretty safe life as far as like you know, no no threat, no present and clear threat of becoming homeless or anything like that. Um, but insofar as this, so like I don't relate to to that aspect of the character. Um, but insofar as like I live in a world and I look around and I don't really like it all that much. Like I'm not happy with the direction that things have gone, um, and I contemplate like non-participation in this as like a viable like lifestyle choice. Um, I identify with that. Um, she has she has every reason to be pissed off. Like she's bouncing to place from place to place because she's running from something, maybe, um, and she's angry about that. Or maybe she's angry because she lives in a society that exploits her and dumps on her and finds more ways to make her life harder because she's vulnerable. Um, so like. 
So to the extent that I look around and I don't like the way things are and I wish that it weren't this way and it makes me not want to participate in society, I, I get that. And I feel her um, in that way. Um, I could definitely see you being the philosopher goat herder. That's insulting. He is one of my <laughs> least favorite characters. I love that character. Um, I would be goat he's herder. He's like the perfect, like, he's the perfect, like, smug-ass, like, French... <laughs> like philosopher, like philosopher guy who's like, oh, my my role is to learn as much as I can and then completely remove myself from the situation with all of my knowledge and ability. Um, and because, shit on people who and, think differently. I guess, and shit I guess on people you're right. Yeah. And 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 piss and moan, um, <laughs> not a character that I was enthused with. And then he's like, "Yeah, I offered her a job." And like, he sounds just like a freaking capitalist. He's like, oh, "I offered her a job, and she didn't take it." Nah, my favorite line. My well, it's not my favorite line. It's like the but it's like I love like because I found it so bewildering. And there was a, a brief moment where I thought it was maybe a translation thing where he says, "All you read is trash," and like as he was saying, like, "Oh, oh my God!" I just had this like crazy so like so it was more of a leading question when i asked if you all think of it wasn't leading but it was more of a trickier question you forced us to answer so it was probably a leading question no it wasn't no honestly it wasn't a leading <laughs> question at all it was more of like it was honestly curiosity it was honestly a host's curiosity because i really do completely think that she mona was purposefully a very blank slate character upon which people could kind of just put whatever they want on her whether it's like seeing strength in her not, you know, or seeing strength in her asking for help or, like, pride in her not asking her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think about Goat Herder Boy, uh, like, saying, oh, you read is trash, or, like, uh, you, and, like, we've never seen her read, he's never seen her read, and he's doing the exact same thing I think the audience is, is just, like, seeing a version of the world in her or seeing himself in her and reacting against it. That, yeah, that dynamic, I feel, is very rich. And very, uh, I got a lot out of that personally. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess we can bring it back around. Peter, you did, you did see, did you see uh, anything of yourself in this character? Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, like, but like, uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a black fight, and so, so, like, I really think you, you put sort of whatever is on there, right? And so, um, yeah, for sure. Like, and so it, it's, it's that same thing of like everyone at all times feels disconnected and feels like they want to throw it all away and feels like they want to just take that left turn on the road and just go into the sunset and see what happens and I think in a, and like I think this movie purposefully doesn't give a lot of backstory about her about her history or her past she's born out of the sea she comes from us from a celestial whatever and then uh, she's a person who decides to take the left turn and this is what happens. And here's the, here's what that looks like. Or here's one version of what that looks like. So, for sure, yeah. What did you guys think of that yeah. section when uh, she was living with the the vineyard trimmer? Because um, in that yeah. situation, uh, she actually had a job. She was being useful. Mm -hmm. She liked the situation where she was living with someone who was kind of taking care of her. Um she, she liked, liked him. him. He didn't seem to mind that she was like hanging out and not really working. And yeah. he was like, whatever, she, I'll do it. And she wanted to stay yeah, there. And she, which that was, was weird. the vulnerable moment. That was the vulnerability. Yeah. And but she got kicked out by these other men because it it mm -hmm. messed up the balance. So to me that that was just another example of 
sexism. I mean, she could, but also she gave up too quickly. Like, she could have talked to the manager of the whole place and been like, look, I'm here, I can work, I'm willing to stay with this person, what can we do? Like, giving up too quickly is, um, I think, something she does often. I think that makes sense, though. Like, she's been rejected, she's been rejected, like, a million times before, and yeah, she can go to this guy, she can go to somebody and say, hey, I could do this job, like, help me. But maybe that guy's going to take advantage of her because that seems to be kind of a thing in her life. I, I, I wish, I, I, the whole thing, the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, I wish that somebody, I wish somebody had some mad, the magic thing, whatever the magic thing is to say to somebody that's like, hey, I want to help you, that like makes them open up and be like, here's how I need help. That never happens, um, which is appropriate because it's definitely that kind of movie. Um, and and frustrating, like not in a way that makes me like the movie less, just like, you know, frustrating that life is like that. Um, and there is no magic word and there is no like perfect person to like open you, open you up and fix everything for you. Um, I felt like I, I and I, I do feel like that scene is very the scene of her living with the the vine the the trimmer or the grape tree trimmer person like I think that it is the one moment of vulnerability that you see from her that is the one where like she's angry at him because he told her she could stay and that he would take care of her to more or less and she's angry but she's hurt because of it and is that it is that like. I absolutely see the point of giving up, but I, I think I also really agree with Chris of like, this is a very, very guarded woman and we are shown the reasons why she is guarded. We are so shown the reasons why she has to have this rough, cold exterior. And this is the moment when she finds a situation that, I don't know, this seems okay for now. And not being able to like place to sit within that moment for a little longer, uh, I feel like that made it all the more... Um, uh, 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 bitter whenever uh, she has to respond to that. Well, and I don't think she's very good at dealing with conflict either. I mean, the, the minute there's conflict, she leaves. That's what she does. Yeah! <laughs> it's, yeah, because she know because that's comfortable, right? Because, like, you know, setting up a, in a, you know, pitching your tent in the middle of a cemetery, <laughs> getting woken up by the grave digger yeah. <laughs> is, like, comfortable. Like, that's familiar, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Leaving is familiar. So, I've got other stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got other things that we can talk about. Um, what did you all think about the tree? Like, the trees. The trees, the tree woman, the woman who's studying the trees. I absolutely oh. love that we are introduced to this woman naked while she's bathing. And she's talking about how smelly the woman, yeah. like, how smelly Mona is. And I think that's a, a very wonderful, very, like, lovely dynamic. And there are, th- there are three scenes of women being nude in this movie. And they're all emerging or in water. Uh, so it's like the uh, Mona coming out of the water, the tree la- uh, tree lady in the tub, and then the other lady that's like nude is just getting out of the shower. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was like an interesting thing. I don't know. Yeah, but what did you all think of like... Cause I cause thought it was funny that who... she was talking about how smelly she was while she was in the tub. Yeah, I, I like that. I liked that a lot. <laughs> but it's like to your point, Chris, because I think it's a good point where there's not... I don't think there's one, not one person who is saying, how can I help you and, mm-hmm. and makes that connection. I think there are a lot of people who make tiny little ink like incremental approaches towards that and i think this is maybe the most like tree woman is maybe the most notable one because she's 
actively tries to seek her, keeps her with her for a while, tries to reach out even after Mona's gone. And there's but also, like, like the great the shot. Of... Sorry. I was just going to say, there's that great shot of, like, the, both of their hands, like, at the diner or whatever, where both of their hands are shown side by side. And, you know, Tree Lady is very nice and manicured and clean. And, you know, Mona's is very, like, dirty and grungy. It's a very good shot. Oh, I love Mona. Um... <laughs> To, uh, to your point, Peter, like, yeah, um, but at the end of the day, she's like, she does, she outright says, realize I can't, like, I can't take you in, I can't really do, we can't do anything for you besides, like, roll around together in my car and uh, and drink wine in, in the back seat, which is, I guess, something people do in France, France which is very cool. Also, um, getting wine from donating blood, apparently. <laughs> the guy's, like, donating blood, he's like, hey, give me some wine. They just have it on Have you been to France? They'll give you wine for anything. <laughs> Sitting on the bench. Does that make the blood you're giving better or worse? Or, you know what? <laughs> I'm sure the French have already solved all of these problems. But I think the tree lady was actively trying to, like, she was the only one who, like, after Mona had left to be like, look for her, search for her, what is, she, you know, what is she, whatever. It actually re- really does come down to her her gross little uh, assistant boy slash slash nephew or yeah. grandson of the of you're the older lady. You're looking very fit today. Um, you're looking very fit today. Um, Again, it's a, a, another like male character who just kind of like blunders into a situation and is a dick about things, mm-hmm. um, and kind of ruins like this like nice thing that these ladies have going um, because he doesn't have all of the information and doesn't care. Um, yeah, that comes up every once in a while um, with characters in this film. I don't know. Angela, what did you think of of Tree Tree Doctor? Madame Tridoctel. Madame Tridoctel. <laughs> um, there we go. She, I liked her a lot, um, and I think she is one of the most different characters in the whole of the the film. She stands out, um, and but she brings to mind that that son, like you guys were saying, who was trying to inherit that house from his grandmother, and I think that it sort of brings to mind the argument that people have about homeless people that they're a drag on society. Um, and that they don't they don't work well how different is it really to inherit a house you know and how much work is that son doing to um, support his grandmother aside from just employing Yolande to watch over her Um, I just I don't the tree lady just ties together all these disparate elements and disparate characters um, and I appreciate that about her but I also like that she is associated with trees um, and their care And that it gives us an opportunity to learn about a fungus that came to France because of the... the <laughs> I looked it up. Yeah, the pallets <laughs> from World War II from the GIs. Um, and so, I don't know. It, I don't have a full answer for this. But that character is very important um, and represents a certain... Um, I almost see her as like the most godlike creature in the whole of the movie. She's just tied to different mm. things. She knows a lot, and she's trying to care for for the world. Whereas there's not very many other people in this movie who give a shit. Like the the guy who works for her, the tree guy. Although th- there was one point where where Tree Lady got electrocuted. Remember that? Oh hell yeah, that was that was terrifying. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> What an interesting scene. I'd forgotten about that. I had completely forgot. It was a terrifying scene. 
No, I love that answer. I love that answer, Angela, because I, I had not put that together of like of the son. What what is the difference between the son inheriting the house? You know, looking for his own. You know, yeah. Uh, I that's fascinating. But I also and I, man, this 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 whole movie is maybe just is this whole is this whole movie just like a Greek drama? Because I'm thinking of her as Demeter, mm. and I'm thinking of the like the last You're thing playing is Dionysus. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking of of the goat herd as Pan, but <laughs> I do want to I do want to like there is also again I you know she is like a sympathetic character but I do sense some light like ribbing if you will if the French have have ribbing in their in their humor um, that she is a woman who studies trees and seems like. And, and is protecting trees from being destroyed. Um, well, this person who she, again, like, rolls around with is, like, really suffering. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know... Well, and there's, I, there's, see, more, there's more you can do than, than well, wine and cheese. And I really feel like there's a rich... I, I feel like... I, and I don't know if it's a rich... But I really think there's a metaphor. Like, there is something beyond the surface here like it was a choice to talk of like i think trees and the stationary like the like rootedness we're like we're following an unrooted person interacting with a person who's helping trees get rooted but i also think that there's like some metaphor within the fungus of we leave these trees they die we leave these trees alone they die it spreads they all die we may not save them but we can at least try right and she may not save this girl, but she carts her around. She gives her the local delicacy. Like, she's trying. Like, I really feel like there's a lot of overarching layers to that that sort of are meant to fit in some way tandem. One question. You know, in the, the last part of the film, there are those, it, there's, like, this cultural event that's happening, the tradition of, like... I was about, like, to, I was I was about to, to connect that. to yeah. that. Yeah, are so we, cool. we, if, yeah we can. Uh, I mean, yeah. Are they, are they dressed as trees? Like, they remind me of the Knights Who Say Me from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. <laughs> They're dressed like well, the... wild men. They're dressed like, yes. uh, just like, you know, forest dudes with, yes. like, uh, with, like, bits of branch and antlers and, yeah. Peter, you're nodding your yes. head. Do you, do you know what this is? Is this a thing? I mean, like, I know humans, and I know, you know, cultural forces, and this is 100% like a wild man, as Chris said, 100% like a celebration of wine, like probably some annual, like, dress up and let's throw, like, because I think they say at the very beginning, uh, as they're cleaning away uh, some wine residue, like, I was able to gather from context clues in the movie that this is something where after they've made the wine, they're left with all of this muck and stuff that's mm. not used in the wine processing, and they just like make a whole communal big festival out of it, and it's probably hundreds of years old, and uh, and it just so happens to come during this poor girl's uh, come down. It actually it it reminds me of Dionysian uh, festivals, actually, yes. which yep. falls back into that Greek it's thing. A- that you were talking about. I said yeah. Dionysus. I, I, 
It's on the All tape. Right, it's recorded. It's recorded. It happened. <laughs> no, no, no. Be sorry. Just um, there's a similar festival in Rome. Um, I did a classics degree for anybody who wants to want to. <laughs> whoever, anybody who wants to know how you can struggle really for employment for forever. Um, but there's a similar there's a similar festival where like you know young men like dress up in like wolves uh, furs and they run around like grabbing people who haven't locked themselves up and like whip chase people with whips and that kind of thing. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, she's like wandering around, everything is very familiar, and then suddenly everything is like completely insane and totally alien, and like, and everything goes from like, everything goes from like slightly unwelcoming to completely unwelcoming uh, if in this like blink of an eye. She's like, what the fuck is happening? Oh my God, I was terrified for her. I love it with all my fucking heart like I, I love that descent into madness that comes so abrupt and so unexpected and as I was sort of making the list of what I think we should talk about I thought of like how there have been two other movies we've discussed that have ended in fire and about how this isn't fire but I would call this like burning it all down yeah. like burning her mental space down of running headfirst into a in, into a literally inhuman monster I don't know if I, it's not literally but running into an inhuman monster and just setting ablaze every speck of like grasp upon the world that she's trying to skim around and just divorcing her perception of this completely I find I love it I love this character who is so like i just love the idea of it i don't like love it as in this was a good thing but i love that like this character who is just trying to skim and a skim is a good word i think and just being ripped out of her sense of what she thought and knew of the world as she's probably coming down on drugs and so what do you think the filmmaker was trying to say with this or if she was trying to say anything i mean this is a character who is you know, a woman who is trying to be free and trying to do her own thing. And then at the very end, there's kind of like, I really like the train station scene too. Like there were just like the convergences of different people and it just seemed like a kind of a whirlwind of activities. And then she just ends up dying. Like, are we, is this an indictment? <laughs> no, I don't think it, no. I, like, oh, go ahead. Angela. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, for I've me, too much. the message she's sending is that there is no such thing as freedom. As long as we are mortal beasts mm. and beings, there is no such thing as freedom. We are going to have to do at least the bare minimum to survive. And that the bare minimum isn't actually that nice. And um, so for all this talk about freedom, it's not freedom at all. There, There is nothing free um, except for the ability to choose. You can choose your type of, of confinement on this planet. It doesn't have to be a confinement. It can be a blissful, mm -hmm. sublime experience to be alive here. Um, Bill Hicks, I quote him a lot. He, you know, it's just a ride, right? But the price for that ride is that you die and we're here. Um, and you can, as Bill Hicks also says, you can get off that ride anytime you want. Um, and this particular person, this vagabond, has chosen a ride that seems as free to her but the question remains in the story that we will never have the answer to is what set her on the path to flee the things that would make that ride more comfortable. See, but, and I, I really agree with you until that last, until I think I just differ with you a little bit on the last point, but I really agree with everything you said. I think every choice she makes is another thing we're not privy yeah. to because that's all of us, right? We don't know what goes into all of mm -hmm. our thinking. And Corey, like I take, I, I don't 
personally think it's like an indictment or a or like a support of this i think it really is following this story and to me that last scene is the sheer divorce of this character from the world she thought she was living in and then death and like because i really think and this is something else i really, really love to talk to i would really love to talk about drugs i really love to talk about like uh because uh especially that train station that train station was where this movie got sad for me mm-hmm. like that train station and everything about that was like oh we're just spin- spinning out of control mm-hmm. like this is just like sheer ma- mania this is sheer just like manic sort of like punching out at everything trying to connect with something uh and i and i feel uh and that's yeah it's like so i feel like i definitely agree with you angela about like we don't know what set her on this path but we also kind of don't know what she was looking and maybe that is the question as well maybe you're right maybe i agree with you because like because every choice that she is presented with we also don't know what she's actually seeking right and so which set her on the path to start and so as she's confronted with these choices she just goes down specific avenues like i don't think it's an indictment or a support of anything it's just following one character which is representative of so many people who find themselves circling the drain circling the drain of both you know a false freedom of of uh, i don't know trying to find something to connect to yeah God. Drugs. Any other thoughts about drugs? Oh, sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like drugs, right? Do you want, there are any thoughts about drugs? There's lots because it's France because there's lots of you know cigarettes and wine. But there's also like pot. I, I really is it shown her doing heroin or her doing other harder drugs? Like something is going on in that uh, in train, train station. station. I was worried if I missed it. She mm-hmm. snor- okay, She didn't oh, yeah. snore. Actually, yes, she had right. a gas blown in her face. And I don't know what that was. I'm not familiar with whatever that was. Um, okay. But she, after that, she says out loud, she says, I am wasted. And the guy, the tree yeah. guy, um, tree lady's friend was there and is was on the phone with her saying, you know, she's unrecognizable. Yes. She's absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. She's a mess. Love yeah. It. Love her. <laughs> um, I, what, what can be said about drugs? At one point, I think she's like, I'm only really like interested in like, you know, like food and weed or something like that, which is, yeah. I think, maybe the character's mission statement, um, <laughs> or as close as one, as close as we can get to kind of like her motivation. Yeah, she wants bread um, and bread to buy weed. Bread well, and bread to buy bread. weed. <laughs> right, right. Um, which you know is 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 okay, um, and I think the movie, I think this movie is really uh, part of it is begging the question, you know, what. What are what do we do with people who are like I want to be free I don't want to do this I want off the ride, um, this particular film says oh well we exploit them and we dump on them and that's too bad I guess um, again they starve outside the machine in a ditch, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't know. I didn't find it very satisfactory I mean she just kind of at the end succumbs to drugs and alcohol and then has one bad night basically and then just dies like i don't know i didn't see it as a even a necessarily a consequence of her actions because her actions had always been self-preservation and all that stuff but then i guess maybe she just lets her guard down for a little bit and that's 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 it she's toast no i disagree because that last scene where she gets she gets dunked in that wine remnants right due to a traditional festival so to me, it's it says that 
there is no way for her to survive because of tradition, uh, because of these expectations Ooh, that we put on people. She's literally killed by it because she survived other cold evenings. But I think what she died of was hypothermia from being wet from that wine. Right. Yeah. Like, mm. if she had been part of that group, if she had been part of that tribe, she would have known that that's what, that, what would have happened that day if she'd been caught outside. Um, there is no place for her, and that sucks. And there's a lot of people like that. And that sucks. Uh, we're going a little long with this, but I have one more topic. I'm sorry, I really enjoyed this movie. And, like, honestly, I just have a thousand questions that I want to keep asking people about this movie, so this is the wrong movie for me to host on. But I have one more topic that we can say as much or as little about as we want, but it's about love uh, and Yolanda's version of her as love. But also within that, I'd, I wonder if you all have any thoughts about... Because we've talked a lot about exploitation and we've talked a lot about objectification, of which I think there's a lot of it in there. Uh, I was wondering if anybody had thoughts about sex positivity with which Mona carries herself. There is a lot of self-possession and self-ownership that definitely feels notable to me, at least, especially in the mid-80s, this being in the mid-80s. And so I'm wondering if there are any thoughts about the movie's understanding and depiction of love as it's, you know, because we have we have Yolande, we, because we're the couples in this. There's Yolande and her, Paolo, oh, Paolo, dance with me, Paolo. There's, there's, there's Yolande and Paolo, and then there's uh, Weasel, Weasel, asshole Dick, and uh, and his wife, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess they're the only two, like, couples that are in here, besides the, the couples that Mona has. Oh, no, I guess there's Shepard, Shepherd Man and his Oh, but also his she was coupled so with did... that guy in the train station who said that uh, uh, she was a good leg. Mm -hmm. Oh right, yes. and let's, he was let's actually... go make porn together, which is yeah. what women love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> in France, we. But I, yeah, like I, I think there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of, uh, in this movie about relationships, about love, about love expectations, and also I, I really do think that there's a lot to be said about Mona's self possession when it comes to her own sexuality, and the the sort of the sort of control she tries to take and sometimes is able to take with it. Is it really self-possessed sexuality? That's the question. Well, I don't know, and that's why. Um, I mean, I like, it. it's. I feel like she doesn't. I feel like there are a lot of times when she has sex when she doesn't need to have sex. Yeah. I like, feel like it's a. It's almost always presented in this kind of like utilitarian, like mm -hmm. this will help keep me safe kind of look. Um. Which you know is is I think well definitely the opposite of like any idea of like romantic love but definitely yeah like i think that i think if the the depiction of sexuality sexuality in the movie even the sort of like her emerging from the from the sea thing all are like can also be broadly interpreted in a very like utilitarian perspective she bathes mm -hmm. in the ocean because uh, it's right there and who's she's gonna bored stop of the sea her? foam you shut your mouth she's bored <laughs> of the sea foam Ain't no law against bathing in the ocean. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of those moments—not all of those moments—the um, moments with the uh, with the with the the fellow who cuts the vines um, are those are kind of sweet moments that are like devoid of like like romance, romance, but definitely like a warmth and like a mm -hmm. that safety that I think she's looking for. That is the thing that is other than bread and weed. Safety, I think, is the thing that we that she most wants, and she has it for like some span of time. Um, I, 
Um, I just want to point out that I don't believe anything sexual is actually shown with the vine trimmer. Yeah. But that, um, do you remember the scene where she has that interaction at the mechanic, right? She's hanging out at the mechanics early in the film, and there's a son who's age appropriate and kind of into her. Mm -hmm. But she ends up sleeping with the dad. And to me, that is representative not of someone who is having sex for fun. It is sex Mm -hmm. for survival. And it's also representative to me of a person who cannot relate to people her own age. Because everyone else that she works with is older. And that kind of behavior suggests to me trauma in childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I feel like her sexual behavior isn't something that just happened this is probably something that's been going on this this survival tactic has probably been going on her whole life that's a wonderful point that's a wonderful point and i think and i think it was something i was thinking of and you said it spot on angela of like the tenderest and the most we can get to actual human connection in a slightly romantic sense is with the tunisian yeah. man the the vine trimmer man where there is like it doesn't show them having sex at all, but it does show her like touch his face, and I, and I just really, really melted with that. God, I don't know. Are anybody have last thoughts? I have last thoughts, but I, I go for talk, it. Go I for your last thoughts. I've said it several times. I fucking love Mona, and I love <laughs> Mona because she's a force of fucking nature. Because she's a force of nature. Like I think about Mona born of the sea i think about mona born of the sea whiplash riding the fucking plains trying to habit inhabit anywhere that will let her be i think of mona terrifying that weasley man waiting for his aunt to die or repeatedly repeatedly i think of mona just as a dirt devil just as a just as a storm cloud that just can't be long for the world because the world has no place for her. And I think of her running up against an absolute, like there's, there's a wildness that, that is, that is, that I see in this blank slate character that I really connect to. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time is, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. I'm not sure if anybody's seen it, but, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is the same way, just a force of nature. Just this, like, I mean, not a good person. Mona's mm-hmm. not a good person, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. But just like a force, just this, just this sheer, sheer monument of confidence and will and exertion and energy that just has to be expended somewhere, and you know it's not long. People who suffer from 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 a need to be themselves. Um, because themselves are uh, they selves are self-destructive um, and complicated Damn. and messy and a hot hot mess um, at it. the best of times and Rage. we love those people um, but they are hard Ugh. to be close to uh, <laughs> I love Mona with all my heart any of the final thoughts? that was my final thought, thank you no, not for me Gordon, do you want to say your, your, your final thought that <laughs> That you started. Oh, right, yeah. So I can see why you all really enjoyed this. Uh, Obviously, I'm going to be the one that's... And I get all your reasons for it. Uh, Obviously, this is just my kind of movie normally. But I think it's better than neutral. And I I would be ready to rate if if unless anyone else has any final. I kind of want to check out this uh, this, wine festival thing. You know? I think I I want Angela's final words. Oh. 
Chris, you want to finish? I don't want to interrupt your final words. That was it. I just want to go to the. I just want to go to this weird Wicker Man festival uh, in, in, in a French would wine be there. country. Chris, let's look it up. And when pandemic, when when we can travel places, I will one hundred percent go there with go you. Go to France and throw grape must everywhere. And the, my ah. dude, it is on the record. We are going there. Wow, there was there was stained. at one point they said uh, they were going to Avignon, and I spent like a week in Avignon once, and I just absolutely loved it. And of all, I went all over France, but of all the places that I went, I want to go back to Avignon. Oh, we should do that. Let's let's that- do it. We'll we'll have a we'll have a live show there, <laughs> Crit Club. Oh. Angela, what are your final words about Vagabond? I have a lot of them. Um, Yolande, the, the actress who played Yolande, is also in Amélie. And she plays another oh, romantically oh. Yes, I recognize her face now. Yeah. Yes. And she talks about now you her, put that together. her beloved, you know, that she he is dead, I think. And she has a picture of him on the wall. And I feel like that is oh, an no. echo of this movie. This actress who huh. gets to continue this I would story of, of what is love in France. I also want to mention that Ugh. there seems to be a literary tradition of a notion in French culture of the waif, of the of the woman who is downtrodden and, and homeless. Um, I think of Les Miserables. Um, there might be some other ones that I can't put a name to, but I feel like this story is a, a turn on a French idea of a particular kind of person. Um, and I, I, I adored it. Um, it, it was very enlightening. I thought about it for days afterwards. I did not, I'm still waiting for the movie that I loved so much that it made me cry happy and sad tears at the same time. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was one more thing I wanted to say about it. Um, and there isn't, um, but it's a fantastic film. I, w- I would go to France with all of you. I miss France. I haven't been since yeah, 1995, oh. um, but I speak French. Not that great. I sound like a child. But um, I would give this film. I'm going to start off the rating if no one minds. Uh. Wait, let's introduce introduce it. I'm sorry. I had one other final thought too. I I did start uh, her 1969 movie, Lions Love (Parentheses and Lies), Um, (laughs) and this it's it's just very much a time capsule of 1968, 1969. Like, holy cow! If you want to see what that those specific years were like uh it's it seems to be somewhat improvised uh with the like two of the guys that made the musical hair which i saw when i was maybe 20 years old and did not like um but but it seems to be like those two guys and they're in this like polyamorous like type triad relationship together and it seems to be largely improvised but man it's super super late 60s i don't know i'd watch that. that Europe of the late 60s, early 70s, uh, and this is oddly enough connected to uh, Theater of Blood, um, just seemed to be filled with like uh, teenagers and 20-somethings just loafing around in abandoned buildings, waiting for people to stab or blue stuff to drink, purple stuff to drink. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, good time. Post-war Europe. Yay. <laughs> and so let's roll. Let's roll the dice, which here on Crit Club, since we, we don't talk about Dungeons & Dragons as much as we should, uh, <laughs> but we still love Dungeons & Dragons all the same. Uh, and so we use a 20 rating system, 1 to 20 rating system, much like the 20-sided die that you will throw to slay multiple dragons or scout for traps along the way. Um, and so, Angela, you said you were ready to roll. What do you, what do you got? Were you fumbling or I'm were you critting? Uh, you have to get me to cry and make me want to live my life in a different way or better. Um, but then I have to cry both happy and sad tears at the same time. 
um, and and like in tears mm. go like that was the best movie ever, um, and then have to think about <laughs> it and recover and then watch it again that same night. So this movie did not do that, but it came kind of close. Um, we're at I would give it a seventeen out of twenty, which is like seventeen and up for me is like very high quality film. Would watch again. Um, and, uh, yeah, giving it a, a, a hearty 17. Corey, mm-hmm. what are you rolling? 12. What are you giving it? It was fine. 12? It was fine. It was, it was better. It was better than okay. It really was. It was better than okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I totally, I totally understand. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I can see me having the same thoughts about this movie, except I just mm-hmm. didn't. Chris, what are you doing? What are you rolling? Um... You know, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, I'm I love a good like downtrodden underdog. What about the outsiders? Kind of tale. Um, I'm gonna give this a 17. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I boy, I was like verging on a 19 with this, Ooh. but I think that's that's too that's too high for me. Because that's, like, Watermelon Woman and, like, my delight and love of... Because that's what I gave it 19 to. And my delight and love of the Watermelon Woman. I don't know if this just... Like, I think Vagabond... I think they're different movies. They're different movies. Of course, obviously, they're different movies. Vagabond made me think and, like, roll around in the sty of it. Like, I felt like I just, like, belly flopped into its mud pile and was like, let's do this. Do you uh, also let's now get dirty. smell like stale cigarettes and, like, roll up big, fat, <laughs> nasty French roll-ups? And I loved it. And, like, I, I don't know why it's so entertaining or so enjoyable to me to just roll around in it, but it really, really was. It's 18. I'm giving it an 18. Okay. I'm giving it 18. Yeah, 18. It was, uh, oh. I, uh, thank you all for taking this journey with me. I'm really, honestly, very glad that I got to watch this movie. I think, I think I will think about this movie for, for many, many years to come. Uh, so, with that said, as we close Le, Le Livre, the book, on Vagabond, we turn to next week's pick, which comes to us from Angela. Angela, what are we watching I am so week? excited because we're, we're, it's a first time for Crit Club. Um, we're going to continue on with uh, Agnes Varda. I was so intrigued by <gasps> Vagabond um, that we're continuing the theme of women in crisis by watching Cleo Between Five and Seven, or Cleo a set, uh, Cinq a set, um, about a performer who is um, trying, waiting on the results of a biopsy, and she distracts herself by visiting old friends. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to listening to watching this. It's an early 1960s film. I love The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is also kind of from that era. era. Um, and I would, I'm just looking forward to comparing these two films, like a 1960s Agnes Barda, Barda film and a 1980s Agnes Barda film. What are the similarities between these two women? Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, maybe it'll be interesting, whoever chooses next week. I think it might be Wizard or Corey. No, it's Corey. Um, whether he chooses wizard. wizard oh it's wizard uh can we continue on track with more agnes varda no obligation <laughs> but i am just like to me it's so much pressure. No pressure wizard you do you um but that's what we're watching and um i can't wait to share it with you guys and this is also yeah, I, this is also in the criterion collection and it was also i, I th- i'm pretty sure i floated this one to you all as my second choice uh, as I was looking at Agnes Varda. So this was like, I am 
fascinated by the plot summary of this movie. I love the idea of spending two hours with a woman waiting on a biopsy, a, a French idol waiting on a biopsy. That sounds exactly like my movie and exactly not like Corey's movie. Uh, <laughs> I suspect it will also smell like stale cigarettes and baguettes. Um, but that <laughs> is so the beauty of le cinéma. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and and folks at home, we haven't really discussed a lot. We don't really have many rules. I'm actually very excited that we're doing two Vardas in a row. Why not? Why the hell not? Like our one rule is that we all have to have not seen the other movie. Well, two rules. None of us have seen it, and it has to be on the Criterion channel. And we all um, had to submit a blood phylactery. Um, oh, yes. For purposes. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, because we're subjecting Corey to uh, multiple weeks of uh, cinema distaste, uh, we're going to start off our final segment of What Are You Watching with Mr. Corey. Corey, what are you watching? I will say you all are not submitting me to anything. The reason I wanted to be in this club is to push my own boundaries and watch things I would not otherwise watch, so I appreciate it. What are you watching, Corey? God. I have not been in a rabbit hole like this in years, seriously, Um, where I am consuming all of the, not just the media itself, but the meta media around it. I think the last time was when like Dark Souls came out and I just had to read all of the fan theories and watch all the YouTube videos and all that stuff. So... This started um, with uh, somewhat innocuously. innocuously uh, I found this YouTube su- served me up the Atrocity Guide, which is a YouTube channel, and it, it sounds worse than it is. Um, it's actually mostly focused on like internet ephemera, and um, it, it brought me in with a documentary that they had done, like a forty-minute thing on the Breatharians, which are uh, like gullible hippie types who believe that they can live by just breathing and sunlight and some of them have died from it and i love a good cult story i love cults that's one of my favorite love things. a cult story very very uh, good is now when i say Corey, what are you watching <laughs> also peter they had one on um phoenix jones uh the uh superhero the rain city superheroes in seattle uh Ooh. so it's a real life superhero and it's a really good like 40 minute I, yeah, documentary I've on, on absolutely him. heard of that person yeah, so yeah. I, I recommend that but Wait, what are you One watching? of their videos is, was on thing? 12... Uh, I'm sorry, it's on, it was on The Secret, which is a book in 1982 um, by this guy named Price. Are you familiar with... Are other people familiar with this before I get too much into this? I've envisioned it, and so it must... It manifested itself. Okay. It's I'm not assume. that secret. Oh, okay. It's a different secret. Uh, this, oh, is it the Christian no, one? No, this is from 1982. Uh, this is, it's this guy who wrote this book, based sort of inspired by this other book, where it's codes and puzzles. So he got these really great paintings done by this amazing painter, painted 12 different paintings and and then created 12 different verses that you had to match up with one of the paintings. And they're puzzles which point you to a city. And then in each of these cities, you then figure out where it is based on clues that are hidden within the paintings. And then um, you then have to figure out which verse matches up with it. And then you get to the right location and follow the verse and it will show you where he buried treasure. So he went around to 12 cities across the United States in 1981 and buried 12 different treasures. To this date, a fourth of them have been found. He intended it to be found within the first couple of years. Wait, so 12 treasures, what is a fourth of them? So three three of them have been found. Okay. Um, and he intended this to be like done within a year or two, and he wanted to make a second volume. But up there, they're so hard, and it's so hard to like pinpoint where exactly to build. Even if you follow all the directions, it wasn't like 
they aren't they're, they're they're metaphorical and they're poems and all that stuff so even if you're off by one inch when you're digging straight down you're off by a mile because you don't know where it is the first one got found in 83 the second one got found in 2004 the last one got found last year um so um the ones in 83 he actually helped he he uh, mailed them a picture of the exact dig site and 2004 they pretty much found it on on their own he died in 2005 and no one is left with the photographs of the dig sites or the actual solutions to these there is so much out there about these and people have been digging he, he created these in a world pre-internet and pre buried treasure. you know yeah pre be, people being able to talk to each other pre being able to go on google earth or whatever so they're supposed to be he thought they were going to be figured out and they just haven't been and, or the world has changed so much in the you know four decades nearly that they've been uh there they might have been destroyed so there are ones in san francisco there's one in new york by the way peter uh there's also one in montreal uh, Chris. Well, what is it? I, I'm. I have a so. I, I'm. I'm really under, not understanding what <laughs> so you're saying. He, he buried, what, what is in he the buried treasure? These, he calls them casks. They're they're um, ceramic uh, vessels, so you can find them with a metal detector, with a ceramic key in it. And then, if you exchange that key, he was going to give you gems that are that are associated with each of the twelves, the birth months, or whatever. And back in the day, they were worth a thousand dollars. Today, I'm sure at auction because they are such you know sought-after collector's items that could be worth much more. So they were they did have some monetary value on them. Um, but there are, and so they're in San. And there's one in San Francisco. But like the two sites that they think could have done, like there's been major 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 renovation. They've been paved over. Um, they went through with like backhoes, so it could have been churned to a dust, but that doesn't stop people from looking for it. So there's still this like big community and it was got covered on discovery channel last year. So that brought a whole bunch of other people to it as well. I am reading literally hundreds of pages of forum posts from 15 years ago about people figuring this stuff out and looking into the images and figuring out what they all mean. There's thousands and thousands of pages. It's I'm listening to a podcast like of where they're going through all of this stuff. It's absolutely riveting. I've never gotten like, I've never gotten a treasure hunting bug like this before, but it's, I find the story of this just incredibly fascinating. Wait, I, I think I missed it. What was the thing that led you to this? Like, I just video. remember Breathitarian yeah. and a YouTube yeah, they, video. They, they okay. did one on, on oh, this dear. video. Are you being do indoctrinated you, you wanna, into something? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a, a real algorithm. Yeah, no, it's like it, it's got so algorithm. If you like it. treasure hunting, perhaps you'd like white nationalism. <laughs> so I don't know. Will you share this YouTube video with us so we can put it at least in the, sure. in the show yes, notes or absolutely. something? Yeah, because um, yeah. But uh, hang on a second. Can somebody watch it all the way through first? Yeah. <laughs> No, I've I've one hundred percent heard of this. Like I've like because there's one in like the Southwest. They're like some in the Southwest as well, right? I'm not think there there is one in Houston. Uh, okay, yeah, I had a reporter once who was putting together a, a game plan to to kind of go seek for this, and so we were getting before a big upheaval. We were getting ready to like sort of pitch, sort of like a, a trip to go search for Interesting. this. Yeah. Well, good luck, Corey. Yeah, I like. I yeah. don't think I'm ever going to like actually do this, but I'm I'm loving the journey. I'm, I'm, I'm loving following the journey of the other people who are really... Because I've also watched videos of people who have sunk hundreds of hours, hundreds of days, years of their life. The people that have been doing this have been doing this for decades. And they have sunk so much of their time. And they're almost like tragic people who are like Yeah, that's way sadder it. than Mona. Yeah. That's way sadder <laughs> than really Mona. Is. So, like, Mona's at least like... I, 
trying some Yeah, shit. I do not want to become uh, one of these people, but I'm really enjoying learning all I can about this right now. Uh, it's truly, good, truly good, fascinating. Good, good. Great. Enjoy your gems. <laughs> I'd love to... We'll share pictures of the gems once Corey finds them. Don't spend any <laughs> money on I'm not going to spend gems. any money. Wait, right. say the name of the guys again. Who? What's the name of the guy who, who made the uh, treasure? Price. P-R-E-I-S-S. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I've heard of this. Okay. Um, uh, I will look for it in New York, and I'll show you all the gems once I find nice. it. It's a competition, Corey. Who's going to find them first? <laughs> Angela, what are you oh watching? Oh, my gosh. I'm almost caught up on Discovery. Like, I, I have <laughs> to watch last week's episode, and then I will have this week's episode, and I will be caught up. Um, let me just add that I got Tommy, or one of our mutual friends, to watch this, and the Trill episode made him cry so much that he watched it twice, and it made him cry again, and... Um, he he likes it. Oh, I've not watched it's this so season good. yet. It's so good. Um, and Sorry, um, star, it's you know that Star Trek episode from TNG where Picard lives that whole other life. Like, what's that episode called? The Eternal Life. The Inner Light. Of course, light. I do. The Inner oh, Light. Yes, inner okay. Light. Yes, I remember okay. that one. Our friend said that it was better than Inner Light, and then I had to confirm this crit. Impossible. Right. I had to confirm this crit, and I asked Chris Hawk about my husband. Who also loves Star Trek, and I'm like, do you think this episode was better than Inner Light? And he was like, yes. And so, hmm. Inner Inner Light is not my favorite TNG episode. What is your favorite TNG That's episode? A... <laughs> the one where Picard goes back to his like the first one of uh, after he was captured by the Borg, and he goes back to his mm-hmm. the winery and with mm-hmm. his brother. Like I. Family. Great episode. Do you know that Gene Roddenberry did not want that episode to happen because he didn't think any of the episodes should go back? But that's beyond the point of what I'm watching. One other thing I'm watching, um, and that's due to our friend Sonia recommended it at our happy hour earlier this week um, Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. I binged the heck out of this in the last. (laughs) You're watching that? (laughs) I did. I am fascinated. I love international television. I find American television really sad and depressing. So I watch a lot of international TV, like Japanese television. And now I am being introduced more to Indian India culture. And, um, this is a fascinating show about human behavior and relationships and a different kind of courting. Um, I watched it with my husband, who used to love um, um, Blind Date, and he was like, "This is like Blind Date for Oh, people. great TV! And um, I just really appreciate it. I can't wait to talk to our friend about because she's like, I know what really happened with everybody. It's like um, I'm not a Bachelorette person, but I am way into Indian matchmaking. I am hoping for a season two. Wonderful, Chris. Wizard Chris, what are you watching? Honestly, I'm not watching all that much right now. I am yeah. enjoying the uh, digging I'm for treasure. The harsh Canadian winter. I am digging for treasure. Um, Find those gems, Chris. Just, I think you I would just, like the secret. Look into it. I think you would be I'll, intrigued. I will, is the book about? Wait, I'm like, is the book the secret? Is the book on the secret of the things? Because they're the the book is. You know, there's a very very popular book called which the came secret, which dec- about a decade or two later. Vision. It's not okay. related to that. This is from 1980. Different secret. There's lots of secrets, Peter. We have to be willing to. But there's this whole fantasy story around it too about from. like uh, fantasy characters that are like immigrating to America and all. So there, there, there's a. 
There's only that one secret, and it's why isn't my dad proud of me? <laughs> but please continue, Chris. On that note, I don't know that I can, actually. I think I need to just teasing. dial up my therapist and have my own conversation about that. So uh, you're sitting in winter, digging through the snow, looking for gems. No, no, no snow just yet. Um, and uh, I, what can I say? I'm still playing Hades. I think we should all still be playing Hades. Nothing, uh, Canada or Toronto in particular, Toronto is about to go back into lockdown uh, on Monday. So uh, it's about uh, it's about that time I got, to get really into one thing. I got so close <laughs> to finishing it. I, I got so close. To Hades? Yes. Finishing Hades? You'll get there. Yeah. There's there's the some Hades. there's one, a bunch of day. BS that you gotta like I don't know, figure out what to do I, with. Like, man. I think I hit some BS. I'm like, this seems this seems stupid. Um yeah, one day this will become an all Hades podcast, but <laughs> until then. And what am I watching? I Did watched... you just ask yourself what you're mm-hmm. watching, Peter? What, Peter do you what, what are you watching? Oh yeah, for sure. No, it's yeah, no, it's uh, like a bunch of not great stuff this week. I it, the reason I think I like this podcast is because I am wow, I'm I'm a hater. Wow, do I hate things. And hate things that everyone else likes. And, like, you know, I'm, I, I think what this podcast is teaching me is that I'm just a very pretentious snob, which I always knew, but this is just confirming <laughs> a lot of, like, <laughs> if it's not an Agnes Varda film, I am not interested. Um, but within that vein of me being a hater of uh, pop culture, which is hilarious because I work so much on pop culture, uh, I watched The Queen's Gambit, which everyone loves. It has 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. It is the series, the Netflix series about... It's a fictional story about a uh, a girl in the 1950s who grows who becomes a prodigy at chess and she ages into a a chess stardom in the 1960s. Uh, and I think it's good, and I definitely think it's good. But I thought it was a little clunky in the storytelling, and I don't know, like a bunch of stuff. The reason why people hate talking to me about these things, of like it was like the it's so it's it like it's structured exactly like a superhero movie and to the point where you even have like a long dark night of the soul and then she has to go back to where it all began it's like i've seen just a thousand movies where there's a long dark night of the soul you go back to where it all began and then the main character understands why they were doing the thing in the first place and then they're even better at the thing it was the friends they made along the way it was the friends they made a lot, and honestly, that's exactly this movie, uh, or this this show. I don't know. It's very good. Uh, it, well, I don't think it was very good. I thought it was good. I thought it was very enjoyable watching. I think it's very. I think a lot of people are praising it for making chess chess feel exciting, and so hell yeah, <laughs> make chess feel exciting. That's great. Uh, it's really prompted a lot of interest in chess. I will gladly play chess with everyone. I don't think I'm good, but I would love to play more. Um, I don't know. Yeah. People love it. People love it. Don't listen. I remember to you used it's to be good. into chess, or you were into chess for a little while, and we're yeah. playing it. And I never wanted to play you because yeah. I'm like Peter's smarter than me. He'll just beat me. <laughs> I don't think I was. Yeah, I don't think I. I think I aged out of being smart at chess. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, because it's been about a decade since I played. Yeah, uh, me and our mutual friends used to play. Um, it was fun, but yeah, Queen's Gambit. I don't know. People like it. Whatever. Watch it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and that's it. I don't know. Like there's, a, I watched a movie on Shutter yesterday, which called Coherence, which is good. I would, yeah, that's a good fun, whatever. All right, I'm not gonna get into it. <laughs> uh, that's it. I've got nothing else. Are we good? 
Any other final, final thoughts about anything? I believe, uh, I believe Angela's your hand raised, or is that a... Yeah, it is. I I have one question if it's not too sensitive to ask, and I I was just wondering what happened to Claire. You don't have to answer. Oh, carbon monoxide. No, yeah. Carbon monoxide poisoning. So everyone, get your carbon monoxide detectors, make sure they're working. Yeah. Yeah. Claire was also a force of nature. Which I think is why I love her. She was, I, I love this character because I loved Claire as a fort. Like, Claire was just, like, uh, if, if no one minds, I want to share this one memory I have, which, which like, is a very strange memory, but it's also a very one that really fit in line with this movie to me, which is I was also on a, uh, Claire and I were on a weird, random trip in northern Indiana, and we stopped off at a Dairy Queen, and Claire, as Claire would do, and again, we were very early 20s. I think we were both 20 at that time. Uh, Claire went up to the person. We went to Dairy Queen. And Claire went up to the person at Dairy Queen and said, Can I just, can you just give me uh, an ice cream? Can you just, like, give me an ice cream cone? Can I just, like, have that? Because this is Claire. Claire was just, like, whatever. Claire just rubbed up against, very rubbed up against all of the, the natural forces around her and, and determined to make her own stance. And, and the woman, like, gave her the ice cream cone. So Claire got this free ice cream cone. This was a pretty common occurrence with Claire to just, like, her asking for things and people giving her things. She was a very charming person. But then I remember she, and I, I was, uh, and Claire turns to me, like, right near the counter, and she looks at me and she says, what if I just threw this ice cream cone away right now? Like, what if I just threw this away? And and I, being a very terrified young little boy, just honestly gasped. and like, Claire, no! She gave you that! It was kindness! And Claire, and it was very much of Claire's thing of just, like, well, I'm just asking the question, shouldn't giving just be about giving and you didn't care what happens to the thing you give? Like, Claire was just a yeah. force. And, and <laughs> like, this whole, like, Claire's ex- intricate, like, uh, in I, I want to say insensitive, but not in a harsh way. Like, insensitive, like, examination of everything around her. I feel like, like and I don't mean it in a negative way, but, like, uh, that is, I think that's why I connected with this character so much, where it's just, like, rummaging around in civilization. She definitely made you trying to push your own assumptions. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sh- thanks. Let me for say sharing that. your memories of her. I feel I feel <laughs> lucky that I got to hear that, and so thanks. I'm sure Corey probably feels this probably more than I. But Claire gave me a bravery that I never knew I had, mm-hmm. and I carry her uh, and my friendship with her. Uh, I, yeah, I owe a lot of who I am to yeah. Claire, and I mean that a bravery lot. and a sense of uh, just curiosity. Yeah. Hell yeah. Have both of those things, y'all. All right. Definitely have Let's call those it. things. Let's call it. Thank you all for doing. What are we What are we watching next weekend? One, we'll one more time. We're watching Cleo between five and seven, or as the French say, Cleo à cinq à sept. Um, another Agnes Varda film. Yeah, it's on the Criterion channel, which is a great channel to watch. Thank you all so much for joining me. It is, as always, a sheer joy to talk to you about these wonderful movies and to see your beautiful faces. Please stay safe. Right. <laughs> and thanks, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. A tout à l'heure.